Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here, Locked On Nationals podcast. Joining us today from Fangrass, it is the very busy, very studious Devin Fink. Devin, I appreciate you cutting out some time of your incredibly busy schedule to talk to us. I appreciate you. Uh, yes, never never a dull moment, uh, especially not on the quarter system when, when finals are coming right before Thanksgiving. Right. That is uh, it's way too busy. There's way too much going on. Um, baseball wise, a lot going on. Just to get your thoughts. You nailed the two MVP picks before the beginning of the year. You nailed Shohei Otani. You nailed Bryce Harper. Um, the, the Harper Soto stuff is interesting. So if I had a vote, I would have voted for Harper, but here's a caveat. So I'm not sure how much you call, you follow college football, but they have the Maxwell award and which is like the most outstanding player. And they have the Heisman Trophy, which is all – I forget. They're basically definitions, uh, different definitions kind of, but like same premise, right? Right. Baseball has the Hank Aaron Award, which is for the best offensive player, I believe. And then there is the MVP Award. And to me, I think it would have been a scenario where I would have been cool with like Juan Soto, Hank Aaron Award, because I think, in my opinion, he was the best all-around offensive player I watched this year. And then Bryce, MVP – I know people don't love this, but I think there is a little bit of narrative stuff that goes into it. And so I'm actually fine with somebody making an argument and saying, look, he single-handedly put his team in a position to potentially make the playoffs when the rest of the offense was kind of lollygagging. He was so important, such an integral part. I mean, he was the offense in some respects. So I think his numbers plus that opportunity that he had and really took advantage of him was excellent. That's why he's my most valuable player, performance plus you know, what it, what the performance meant. Uh, and then I think the best offensive player I watched this year was Juan Soto. What do you think about that statement? I mean, yeah, I think it's it was really neck and neck ultimately at the end of the day. Um, I, I, I do think, though, like when the season was finally over and, and the numbers were counted, Harper's offensive numbers were a slight tick better than Soto's. So I, I'm, I am fine with him taking home both awards. Um, Harper is the you know, had a 1044 OPS to Soto's 999. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a 170 WRC plus to Soto's 163. Um, so, like, and for people you know, who don't know what, that means, hairs what, is, what is what does that mean for people who don't know? So, I mean, the long and the short of it is like OPS considers one point of slugging and one point of on base is rough, roughly equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at run values, we've actually learned that. One point of on base is is one is more important than one point of slug, which actually helps Soto um, mm-hmm. as someone who is his offensive production is driven a lot from his ability to walk and his ability to yeah. hit for three hundred average. Those two combined, running OBPs of near five hundred, if not over five hundred in the second half. I think it was over five hundred. Yeah, no, it was. Um, it was. It was. It was very Bonds type stuff. But um, but yeah. So WRC plus basically takes those new weights that we've learned and puts it on a one hundred point scale, where mm-hmm. one hundred is average, one point is a one percentage point above average, and one point below is one percentage point below average. So Harper at 170, and, and it adjusts for your ballpark. It adjusts for the fact that you play in the National or American League because of the DH. 
And it also adjusts for your yearly run scoring environment to compare players across eras and across mm -hmm. teams and at different ballparks. Um, so that's like a, a short summary of what it is. Mm -hmm. And so Harper at 170 is 70% better at offensive production um, than the league average player. And Soto at 163 is 63% better. So even there, you're, you're splitting hairs, right? And right. you could say, you know, at the, you know, uh, Soto had 654 plate appearances to Harper's 599, and that's important. Mm -hmm. So if you look at like accounting stat in in terms of offensive value, you could even say, you know, maybe Soto was actually better because even though on a rate basis he was slightly worse, but he had more plate appearances. Yeah, like, all this I, is I, I really care about like same. RBIs, like stuff like like RBI, like that, that stuff doesn't really matter that much, especially when those two guys are that close and we understand what the offensive situations were. I will say my argument for the hitting stuff, and I've said this a bunch. Like the strikeout walk numbers to me, when we talk about how good a player is, like I think the fact that that stuff he improved despite the fact that the the elements around him changed show that look in terms of approach, this guy wasn't going to change because Turner and Schwarber and those guys were gone, right? He stayed the same guy, and sure he got walked a lot, but he was still very effective as a hitter. You know, it wasn't like he was getting walked every single time, and still very effective as a hitter in that second half. So to me, that's why I would say he was the best offensive player I think I watched this year. But Bryce, you know, to use a couple of counting stats here, like things like doubles, like he really crushed that category. That is a more impactful hitting, right? That's more impactful hitting than a walk or a single just because of the amount of bases you're getting there. Right. Stuff like that kind of sticks out for Harper, I'd say. Yeah, and I mean, I think that kind of comes in um, to, to their end-of-season numbers. You know, Harper's isolated power at 305. 84 points above Soto's 221. Right. And so that's going to your point about, you know, you look at the home run title totals and you say 35, 29, that's not that far. Mm -hmm. but you look at their, their slugging really. And that's, that's where you get like that 80 point difference. And, right. you know, while I just said one point of on bases is more impactful than one point of slugging, 80 points of slugging, you know, still matters a lot, right? Like no one's going to tell you that hitting a double or triple or homer is not valuable. Right. Um, and, and, you know, they were within, you know, 34 points of on base. And so that's kind of why Harper ultimately had a slightly better offensive year in my view. But I think at the end of the day, you're splitting hairs, especially with that Soto did it over, you know, 55 more plate appearances too. Yeah, it, it was such a, it was a great, uh, and then, you know what, here's the thing. Baseball is weird. The sport where it's like these, you know, the six candidates, none of the guys win the playoffs, right. Across the two leagues. Uh, none of the guys in the playoffs. Now, what would you say about the – so Dan, our friend Dan Wilson from Lockdown Phillies um, said that Otani is a cheat code to the um, to the MVP award because of what he does on both sides. And I think his, I think his argument is kind of like, look, if he was an above-average pitcher and a very good hitter, then it's like how do you beat that value on a per-game per basis, right? How can you, how can you beat that value? Do you do you agree with that assessment or no? I mean, I I don't, right? Like I think it's a, it's a war. Like if you if you take that and, and move it back into kind of like looking at the raw statistics, the raw output, his combined batter and pitcher war was like quote unquote only 8.1. <laughs> right. And so <laughs> but 8.1 is still ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but 8.1 is like not actually like outside of the realm of things we right. haven't seen from just MVPs who have, you know, won the award from just right. being a yeah. hitter in years past, right? Like 
you know, we even just looking among hitter seasons only since 2010, I pulled this up right here. There have been 19 hitter seasons with 8.2 or more. Right. I'm going to say like the fact that his both pitching and and hitting is accumulating for that number is, you know, it it is ridiculous. And I, and I do think there's the argument that because he saves you a roster spot as well, that's an underestimate, right? That's literally just his production, but you kind of also have to add into the production that like, he's you know a rotation spot once every six days and he's also you know better than every pretty much every other dh in the league and so you get an extra roster spot out of that and so like that i think even if otani let's say next year was his combined war was one win or so behind the leader i still think he is the most valuable but it's not to say if mike trout goes out next year and posts a 10 war season and Otani's only at like a six or seven combined war season. It's not like he automatically wins the award because he did both. But I do think he gets like this added implicit bump from saving a roster spot as well. Uh, all right. So let's you, let you take your victory lap. How, how did you do it? How did you see it coming? What, what, well, what did you? First thing I'll say is don't look at my divisional predictions. No, don't say it. Devin, dude, just act like you act. I got to humble myself it, right? a little bit, Josh. Don't even make, I, no, no, no. Take your victory lap. You deserve it. Well, it's fun. Hard so, to it's funny. Someone someone in the comments was like, you had to figure out a way to crop out those divisional picks. And I was like, well, <laughs> you're right. Um, look, I picked the Braves to win the World Series in six. I don't mention that they were supposed to play the Yankees in my prediction. All right, that's not my. That's not what I'm. I'm not going to say exactly. That. Only just, only just highlight what you were right. Six. No, there you so go. Um, no, I think I think when you make MVP picks, right? Like it's it's you, it's a combination of wanting to be right and also wanting to kind of go out on a limb in case you are right. Um, so I think if you go back on fan graphs every other year, I probably picked Trout in the American league and, and most people pick trout and I probably may even consider picking trout next year. I mean, I think if you were to ask me today who would win the MVP next year in both leagues, I would say trout and Soto. Um, but you know, we'll see how I'm feeling on opening day, but I mean, Harper, I think kind of was a little bit more of a data driven pick. He looked really good to me in 2020. Um, you know, posted a 268, 425, 42 line mm-hmm. um, and his expected stats. He was one of the actually, baseball's biggest underperformers last year relative to his batted ball data. And it was a 60 game season. And there's a lot of other caveats that the game wasn't the same. He was only facing the East. We, we understand all of that. 2020 was weird, but I was like, he looked much like his elite self over a really large sample than he had in a, in a couple years when he was a very good player, not quite an elite player. So I was like, you know what? Like, I don't think with the talent in the national league, there's going to be anyone who picks Harper even though he's still just as likely as any of the other superstars in the National League to win it on any given year with the right luck, in my view. So I was like, why not, right? And that was in between lots of Soto picks, Acuna picks, Mookie Betts picks. The National League has so many guys that are in that level just below Trout, maybe not Soto anymore, who might be reaching that level, um, that like, you know, Harper could kind of fly under the radar, and I ended up being the only one um, – who who picked him on the American League side? It was more wishful thinking. I really wanted to see a healthy Otani on both mm. sides of the ball. Curiosity, just, right? I just was like, what would that look like? What would a full season of Otani being healthy as a pitcher, as a hitter, actually look like? And I think baseball fans were treated to just one of maybe the greatest individual season when you consider the the history of it as well, and just 
he was only one of six players in MLB history. They said this on the show last night with 45 home runs and 25 stolen bases. And the guy also pitched just unbelievable. So that was, that was a wishful thinking pick. Like, please, Otani, like spoil us for a year. Right. Right. All right. Uh, quick break here. Today's show is brought to you by built bar. Go to built.com today. That's built.com to check out all the flavors that are available right now. As we head into the holiday season, it's a great alternative to pie. What's your favorite pie, Devin? Or or uh, Thanksgiving treat? I like pumpkin pie. Oh, my Pretty God. Pretty traditional. You, are, you heathen. You heathen. I'm not a pumpkin pie guy. Well, uh, most pies have like 300 plus calories. Built Bars, only 130 to 180. So it's a nice alternative. Check it out. Built.com. Promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off today. All right. So as we head towards free agency – Slash potential, or in free agency, potential freeze. What are you looking at? And I've been asking everybody this, but are you somebody who's of the mind that look, we're not going to see a whole lot of the big multi-year guys sign until the CBA has worked out? To me, I would especially say for those contending teams, like I would not want to sign anybody big to a big deal till I knew what that luxury tax line was going to be. Right, that is something that a lot of teams want to stay under. So I would not sign anybody important until I knew, hey, what exactly is that figure? So I know how to construct my team and make those puzzle pieces work. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's both sides to it, right? Like I think the players also probably would be motivated to get a deal exactly. done now for the exact opposite reason. We don't know what the, we, we don't know what the uh, luxury tax rules will look like. Um, and we don't really know what the financial system might be. Is MLB going to try and prioritize more money for younger players and mm-hmm. arbitration and pre-arbitration is free agency going to be stunted. So I think there's opposing forces right now that might ultimately work uh, to a freeze themselves, right? Like players mm-hmm. may be more motivated to get the money now, right? Like right. we already see Eduardo Rodriguez off the market. We see Noah Syndergaard, Justin Verlander already signed, but they have less to lose because with the exception of, of Rodriguez, more towards Syndergaard and Verlander, they sign short-term deals, right? So right. even if there is a complete overhaul of the system that might ultimately work in their favor next offseason – in the case of Syndergaard, who just signed a one-year deal, you know he'll be able to benefit from that if if things drastically change. Um, so hard to say exactly what's going to happen. The clock is ticking. Uh, there will be a freeze on on free agency and all of that when you know the lockout inevitably does seem like it will happen. And so you know we'll have to go from there. It's it's are hard you, to it's hard to make a prediction at this point. Yeah, are, are you? I mean, I think a lot of people right now, and obviously we're not in the room, but I think a lot of people it sounds like believe okay, we're going to have a lockout. We're just not going to have a work stoppage. We're not going to miss games. That seems to be the consensus. I think it's a consensus of a lot of hopeful people. Obviously, a lot of people cover this sport. We're also fans, right? We like fans of baseball. We like baseball being played. And I think the one thing I'm scared of most is these people are such creatures of habit, these baseball players. And we saw what happened. We knocked off their routine one year. And obviously, it was inevitable with COVID, right? Yeah. I, I would hate to see it happen again because I think it's a Pandora's box in terms of player health. Uh, those guys need to get going and they need spring training and they need that to get themselves acclimated to do baseball because baseball is one of those weird sports where it seems like injuries are a plenty and it's not a sport where there's a ton of contact, right? So those injuries kind of can, can come from, uh, you know, stoppages, all those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, strains. It's a durability sport, right? Like, I don't think I could ever imagine playing 162 games yeah, it's, it's in, in like six months. Like that's just like insane. Um, so yeah, it is. A, it's a durability thing. It's it's not a it's not a contact thing. I agree, and I, I think 
I think the pandemic may have changed the calculus of the CBA. And and look, I could be totally wrong. As you said, neither of us are in the room. We don't really know. It's based on what I'm reading. It's based on kind of my, my intuition. But if I had to guess, we might see some of the biggest economic issues get kicked down the can or, or kicked down the road a little bit. They might kick the can yeah. on them um, because I think both sides. And, and what would understand. those be? What would those be? Restructuring arbitration, maybe okay. doing an age-based free agency, um, changing things like the on-field play rules, you know, pitch clock, I think is something the owners are in favor of for, but the players for are not for injury reasons. Um, so things like that. I think those are some of m- m- the more pressing issues first financially. And then second, kind of the on-field questions. Um, we might see, you know, if I had to guess, they might, we might not see a radical overhaul in the CBA this time around, just because, you know, the players and the owners both saw kind of the detrimental impacts it had on the sport when they were only able to suit up for 60 games just last year. Um, so do you think and, it would be like so a, yeah. almost, you know how they do like those, the, the government does kind of those, uh, when the government, what is it called? Government shutdowns kind of come up. I do like the one to two year spending deal, whatever the hell, you know, the spending deals are. Could you see it being like that where it's a shorter term CBA and they just say, look, we just need some more time to work on this stuff. COVID kind of threw a wrench because we had to negotiate something else last year. We would just need more time to work on this stuff maybe two years down the road, three years down the road. Yeah. Like ultimately I'm not too familiar on precedent. Like are all CBAs five years? Is right. that just like something they've established, right? Like I think this one was 16 to 21, mm-hmm. um, which is why it's expiring now. So I don't know if they would even want to strike a short-term agreement, right? Because that mm-hmm. comes with it, you know, the you know, you keep striking short-term deals, you're just pushing it down a little bit down the road and thinking, okay, maybe we're gonna have a work stoppage if we sign a two-year agreement just then. I don't I don't really know, right? Do they just sign a full five-year deal with not much change, not much concession? I, again, I don't know. I think um, the players don't have a whole lot to concede at this point anyway, right? Like um, there was an interesting article on Fangraphs by Nathaniel Groh, um, who is a professor, I believe, at Indiana University covering labor um, issues, specifically as they relate to sports. The the last thing the players really have to concede for CBA is like expanded playoffs. The owners mm-hmm. just have so much leverage at this point. So yeah. it's it's really hard for me to think that um, massive changes are, are necessarily going to come. And and I think that may influence kind of the length of, of an agreement as well. Yeah, it's just not a sport that's going to reward like work stoppages. Like the, I mean, the NBA, you know, with what those players are paid, like a lot of those dudes could be like, yeah, hey, we'll, we'll take it. To the, you know, we'll we'll sit there. It's fine. And like the average salary in that league is so much higher and baseball is obviously different. And I think you're right. There's, there's not much leverage. But I mean, here's the thing. All in all, I just want to see stuff to improve the sport. Like that is what I want. I want the DH. Or I want the DH universal. Right. It's I think that's going to happen. That's got, But you know, a lot of people have talked about it being a bargaining chip, and it's like I am. I am so opposed to the idea of using something that we know is going to benefit the quality of the game as a bargaining chip. If that makes sense. No, I totally agree. I think it's it's a it's for lack of a better word it's a disgrace yes that the owners are are using that as a bargaining chip i think there are certain things that have just become an understanding like this is going to happen but you know they they want to make unfortunately want to make this as difficult as of a process as possible Devin, do you sit there in the playoffs do you sit there in the playoffs and you watch framber valdez hit and you're like this is stupid like this is so stupid, or or there's I think it was there's two guys on when Ian Anderson and maybe Ian Anderson came up one time like this 
is so dumb. This is not quality. It's like, okay, this guy is paid to pitch. So he's going to hit with two guys on in the World Series. Nobody wins except for the team pitching, I guess. But nobody wins. And no one was complaining in 2020 when there was a universal DH for health reasons anyway. No one was You're like, right. man, I'd love to watch this Garrett sucks. Cole hit yeah. in the playoffs, right? Like, I, I'd love to watch because, you know, Garrett Cole was hitting in the 19 World Series, which I know you remember well. Yeah. Um, and so no one, no one was thinking to themselves, man, I'd love to, to watch my favorite pitcher coach try and swing the bat. Um, right. So, yeah, I think, like, it's ridiculous to a degree right. that, like, that's not just something they can hammer around and say, okay, like, you know what? Like, we're for that. Everyone's yeah. for that. We'll make the game better. Well, it's also, it's you know, in the Nats perspective, too, like, if there's a DH, I think Ryan Zerman had mentioned the other day that he's he's acting right now like he's playing next year. And he said he hasn't made a decision yet, so I think he's, you know, he's, like, not eating tubs of ice cream and he's going to the gym, I think is what that means, right? You know, he's keeping himself. Right in that mode, if there's a DH, like there's no question whether he's coming back next year or not. Right. And the guy can show up and that can be his role for this team for a really young team. But like he has to, you know, he has to wonder like, do I want to play the field at 36 or just, or just being a pinch hit? Like that kind of stuff, you know, like that's why Nelson Cruz had a long career. That's good. We want that. And that's the stuff that we like to see. So I'm with you on that. The pitch clock. Let's, let's hit on this real quickly. So, the injury stuff's interesting. I don't know how widespread it is in college. I know when I was at Missouri, that was that was a thing, and it was recently implemented. I'd love to see if there's any data supporting the idea that pitchers in the SEC were injured more often. Now, obviously, you can't say that that's the cause, right? That, that would be the cause. But you could say, hey, if there's an uptick in injuries from when they didn't have it to when they did, you know, maybe, yeah, that's, there's, that deserves some further consideration. Um I'm a fan of the pitch clock. I don't know if it necessarily speeds the games up as much as we think it would, but I'm I am I am for it. No, I actually think it would go a long way. Time between pitches you know is what? Okay. absolutely where baseball loses a okay. lot of their time, and it's where I think the game has really just grown in length over the last couple decades. And it's really time between pitches. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, MLB instituted a rule where batters had to have one foot in the batter's box all the time. Yes. And then all these guys were getting fined across the league because they're like, this is messing up my routine. And I don't even know if they took that rule out or just stopped enforcing it or what, but like, those are rules that I like that's dead mm -hmm. time where the guy steps out and adjusts his batting gloves. And, and I get that you need to be locked in for every pitch. You only get four plate appearances, but that time is so crucial. And you cut that down. It'll make it'll make the game speed and feel a lot more brisk, um, and so you know I would be in favor of it. Um, but in, a, in an era where pitchers want to have max stuff for every single one of their pitches, and, and who can really blame them considering how good hitters have gotten, the pitch clock doesn't allow them to fully reset their body uh, for their for their next pitch. Max Scherzer, um, I pulled this up. I remember him saying in 2019 that he was fundamentally against the pitch clock. Um, and he thinks that the major pace of play problems are coming from all the foul balls. Um, so because he's you know, not a slow worker necessarily. That That's kind of, you know, it's kind of weird. Cause I'm not sure if you feel the same way. I don't watch Max pitch and think this guy's moving slow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Look, I, I agree. Um, and, and I really like pitchers who just kind of get into a rhythm. And, and I think there's a lot of reasons why the games have gotten longer and, some people want to argue that it's it's not a problem. Like, I don't have an issue personally watching a four-hour playoff baseball game that's only nine innings. But I also recognize that, like, I'm that's a diehard fan. That's conservative, too. That's conservative. Four hours for playoff game feels like 
conservative sometimes. I'm not sure if the daddy bears it out, but I mean, I'm with you on this. And here's what I'll say. Like, so I'm not as good with the, the, the specifics, the number stuff, but I do understand entertainment products. And there's a reason why Formula One is, besides a Netflix show, is becoming more popular and more watched. The races are two hours long. All right. They're actually less than two hours long. They're the same, the champagne celebrations over at about hour and 55 minutes. And that's good. That's why people like it. It's two hours of your day. It's, it's there. I enjoy, I love watching playoff baseball, but like it is, you know, it, the games are really freaking long and they do, they do have, a, I think the responsibility is, is, as enter, you know, entertainers putting out entertainment product to do their best to try and speed up the games. It's why I like the fact that the NFL has the clock run uh, after, you know, after the uh, first downs and whatnot and, and things like that. I, I love that idea. And there's no stop at the clock. Make sure the games, there's a little bit more pace to them. And so I think, look, people won't like it, but these are, these are things where I'm, and I'm normally a pro player with a lot of stuff, but like, this is just generally stuff that I believe makes the sport better. And, and I'm pretty sure, um, that MLB already has a rule on its rule book that you must deliver your pitch within a certain number of seconds. Right. Like, um, because I know that's been an argument that's used in favor of the pitch clock. You know, everyone's like, oh, there's no clock in baseball. But like, I'm pretty sure like in the official MLB rules, you're supposed to deliver your pitch within a certain number of certain number of time. Again, it's just one of those things that's on the books, just not enforced. Um, but it got me thinking, like, my favorite playoff game from this year was the Dodgers Giants game five. In my head, that was a brisk game, but I looked it up, 2-1 game, 3 hours, 26 minutes. Right. So I don't know, right? Like, in my head, that was, like, super quick, brisk game, not a lot of scoring, not a lot of mid-inning, you know, pitching changes. But even still, um, it was it was three and a half hours. Um, uh, that was that was my favorite game for the playoffs, though, not, and I felt like it moved quick. So maybe it's yeah. also an intensity. Relatively game, speaking, yeah. it did, yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, all right, I want to get your thoughts on, on a couple of things. So you wrote you wrote the, about the catcher's market, uh, and it's a thin one. And actually, this is an area where I think the Nationals lucked out. Like, I think the way things played out for them, I know it didn't work out well last season, but they, you know, I, I think people mentioned their names for, for catchers last year, uh, for guys like James McCann and, and for guys uh, like JT Real Muto. And now the, the Nats have multiple catchers and Riley Adams and K-Barrett Ruiz and Trish Barrera, who was nice – last year and I forget the kids name they got from the A's it's it's such a premium position we're seeing catchers get drafted higher and higher now uh because of of their value just the, you know the value of being able to hit and and run a pitching staff and and have it at a young age as well too right having all those things it's just so rare um that's gonna be it's, it's always an area where, where teams are hunting and it's always an area where normally in this kind of market people will overpay what are you looking for in that market this offseason yeah no I think First, um, free agent market is awful. So, right, it's it's going to be a trade market. Um, I think if teams were smart, they would capitalize on that. I mean, you know, if the Nationals got the right sort of deal, I would maybe even consider dealing Riley Adams, um, which I know you just got, but why not flip him if, if you think, you know, the, the, um, the value is there, right? I mean, because this is a team that needs a quick rebuild, right, for me. Um, with Soto, you know, his clock mm-hmm. ticking and you want to win with him and you don't want him to be unhappy as he approaches free agency. So I think they have to be a little bit more creative than the other like three, four or five year slog of rebuilds where you just lose and, you know, and hope for the best. I think they need more of a retooling than a rebuilding. And so exploiting market inefficiencies is probably going to be one of the best ways to go about that. So could, you know, 
if I was sitting in Mike Rizzo's office, could I consider a trade for Riley Adams, even though you just got him? Yeah. Um, maybe for young controllable starting pitching or something else. Um, but you know, that's, a, mm. that's a little bit less rumored out there. I think more right. no, it makes sense though, but I, but I think some of the more, um, you know, the, the more prominent rumors are like, if the Cubs can't lock up Wilson Contreras, they're kind of seem to be more interested in a longer term rebuild than maybe the Nats would be. Could they deal him? Um, could, you know, I wrote about this, could the Diamondbacks move Carson Kelly or the Blue Jays have a handful of solid catchers in, in their system and, and Gabriel Moreno, who's one of their top prospects. I think he's like a top 30 MLB prospect moving up. Like, could they deal what from that position of strength? And I think we're going to see a lot of trades um, for teams who are trying to win that might not love their, their starting catcher. I think those are the guys that don't get moved like Gary Sanchez, right? Like you're not going to be able to find an upgrade for him at this point for as much as Yankees fans might want a different guy behind the plate there next year. Like they're probably going to get the most value by just holding in this sort mm-hmm. of market rather than overpaying to get an upgrade. Um, though I have seen some suggest a, a Wilson Contreras for Gary Sanchez swap straight up, but I, I, I don't really kind of get that from the Cubs perspective. So, you know, I think we'll see movement, right? Like there's, there's not a lot beyond Jan Gomes uh, as in terms of free agency. So I think whichever teams can figure out how to be creative with position of strength, like the nationals, um, they might get to benefit more than they would during a typical off season. Yeah, if you were sitting, you know, with Mike Rizzo, I mean, I don't think they're going to be next good, that good next year, personally, and I'm not sure the goal is. Um, but it doesn't mean you can't make moves, right? Like, it doesn't mean you can't make moves to get guys who are going to be eventually part of the core that helps you win, right? So, I mean, like, a, you know, maybe giving Josh Bell a couple more years, right? Uh, tacking that on there because that's a guy who's a veteran that, you know, gave you a full season of interrupted play in the beginning with the COVID and whatnot, but all altogether pretty decent hitting pretty decent output um, trying to find guys like that, you know, that, that could be pieces. What kinds of players, if you were Mike Rizzo, would you target? Uh, Cause uh, you know, they're not going for Correa. They're not probably not even going for guys, you know, even the next year, like Simeon, but would it be a, Hey, bring Kyle Schwarber back to DC. And uh, that's your left field slash DH solution moving forward. What types of moves are you looking at? Well, I mean, I think it depends on, on the long-term plan there, but I think that long-term plan is, purely driven with Juan Soto's free agency, right? Right. You want him to be a national for life. Um, He's probably going to end up having a better career than the guy you did let walk in terms of Bryce Harper. You can't let them both walk. That's, 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 that's kind of my thought, right? You can't let both those guys walk out on you. Right. I mean, I think letting Harper walk hurts, but they got super lucky in that they had a guy who was even better than him. Like I'm going to say it. I really like Bryce Harper, but Juan Soto at this rate is going to end up having a better career than, than Harper. Mm -hmm. Um, so they got lucky. Right. But I, but I think if you let him walk, that's like letting Ted Williams walk, like that's like letting Mike Trout walk. Like I think Juan Soto is probably the best hitter in baseball after Mike Trout and after 2022, if Trout's healthy the whole year and, and Soto is more like his second half self than his first half self, we might start to see the argument that Soto is hitters, the best hitter in baseball. So what that means for the nationals in the off season, it's like, you got to make this. You got to make sure this guy's happy here. And you got to mm-hmm. make sure that this guy wants to stay here and, and thinks we're committed to winning. So, you know, I I would, you know, if I were them, be sneaky player first. Maybe some of these top tier free agents, right? With so many shortstops on the market, you might be able to get a guy like Trevor Story at a little bit of a discount if there's not as many teams 
as initially expected in that in that market. So, you know, and we know that if they're planning on starting Alcides Escobar at shortstop in 2022, like that's an easy hole to fill. Um, right. But I also think a lot of the Nationals' short and medium-term success is going to depend on fixing Patrick Corbin and also seeing what Strasburg has left in his tank for the rest of his career, which is sad to think about. But those two could, would go a long way of like raising the floor of this sort of team. Right. Yeah. And there's so many different ways they could do it. They could stand, you know, stand pat and, and, but you know, or maybe go to kind of go that one year route with a few guys. Right. And just kind of say, all right, we'll see which guys, any of the one year guys, you know, are worth keeping moving forward or they go with the holding pattern type guys. And obviously Alcides Escobar is a pretty clear, uh, is, is a pretty clear holding type type move. Um, anything else? What, what are you working on right now, Devin stuff that you just want to, you know, promote before we get out of here? Um, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of taking things easy. As I said, I got finals right now. Yes. Um, if any transactions come up, we'll might be able to get on some of those, um, working on a baseball related project for my stats class. Um, oh, that's wow. what do we got there? What's that? We um, hear that one, that, that one is, that one's pretty, um, pretty interesting. So as the stat I mentioned earlier, WRC plus, um, I'm basically building a model that uses the hitters walk rate, strikeout rate, and isolated power and nothing else to make predictions about their their WRC plus. Um, and it seems like those three those three inputs, which I would consider to be like the hitter tendencies, right? Like their plate discipline and their power, um, ha- explain much of the variation in in WRC plus about seventy percent. So um, you can kind of then make some predictions as to what guys strikeout rates and walk rates would look like what isolated power they would need to be a really good hitter for a guy like Soto. He probably doesn't have to hit for any power at all to be an above average right. hitter. But for a guy like Patrick wisdom who strikes out like 40% of the time and walks like <laughs> 8% of the time, he better be hitting for a lot of power. Um, so that's kind of what I've been focused on, even though it's not something for fan graphs. It's, it's uh, still pretty impressive. Though. A lot of mental uh, space recently. Yes. The, I mean, master of Dartmouth projects, Devin Fink, uh, Fangraphs contributor. Devin, where can people find you and your work? Let them know. Yeah, you can find me at Fangraphs. You can find me on Twitter at Devin Fink. Um, tweet out all my articles there. So if you want to follow there, you'll be able to read all my stuff. Appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you. Thank you.